y'all. Welcome to Common Era, a podcast presented by the Consulate Journal of Ireland in Atlanta. This podcast explores the shared ties between Ireland and the American Southeast. And in this episode, we'll hear from the 2022 Steve Martin Banjo Prize Award winner and founding member of We Banjo 3 in Discahal. He's recorded with bluegrass legend Ricky Skaggs, guested with the Chieftains, and toured with Frankie Gavin and the Brock McGuire Band, to name a few. We're honored to have him on the show today to talk about how this iconic Appalachian instrument traveled from Africa to America and just in the past couple decades became a traditional Irish music staple. We'll hear a little bit about his history with the instrument too. My name is Enda Scahill and I'm a banjo player from Galway in Ireland. I've played for 10 years with Wee Banjo 3 and just recently was awarded the Steve Martin Prize for excellence in banjo with a, a co-winner, Bill Evans, who's a fantastic five-string banjo player. So I'm I'm only one of two uh, non-US uh, winners of the Steve Martin Prize. So that was a huge surprise uh, and I'm, I'm very honoured to have won it. Um, and with We Banjo 3, we've played uh, 10 years and we've done 99% of all of our touring is, is in the US. Well, congratulations. Um, we are absolutely thrilled to have you on the show today and would love to hear your background with We Banjo 3 as one of the founding members and also how you first got into playing the banjo and Irish traditional music, Appalachian music, bluegrass, um, what that looked like for you over the years. Yeah, it's a, a circuitous journey as as all good uh, musical stories are. So uh, to go right back to the beginning, I was about eight years old, and I, I come from a small rural uh, village called Carafin, which is it's about 20 miles north of Galway City. I mean, Galway City is a tiny city by U.S. standards, right? It's Even now, it only has 90,000 people, right? And so where I grew up was rural. Uh, my mom was a teacher in the local uh, primary school, and we got a new, uh, a new music teacher came to the school. So... Uh, she had a baby. Uh, I actually only found this out over the weekend because I was chatting to my mom. And my, my dad convinced her to come and teach at the school. And she said, well, I have a brand new baby. And he goes, that's okay. My wife has one too. <laughs> <laughs> She'll mind yours while you're teaching. So uh, that's how she is. A lady called Bernie Gersey. She's from Mayo. Um, and so she started teaching music at the school. And of course, at that age, seven or eight, everybody played the little penny whistle or the tin whistle. And uh, she just said, who wants to play banjo? And I stuck up my hand straight away. And my mom remembers that the following week she arrived with a banjo in a black trash bag or a black bin bag because she didn't have a case for it. <laughs> wow. And handed it to eight-year-old me with a, a sort of a list of instructions of where to start. And so that's how I started on the banjo. Always loved the sound of it. Didn't know why. Uh, part of me believes that there is a there is a great rebel spirit to the banjo. And, and maybe some of that has to do with its origins and that entire very complex history that it has with Africa and with slavery and with the West Indies and with America and and right through to to when it pops up in Ireland and we can we can talk about that, but I believe that there is a resurgent rebellious nature to the instrument and I I think that's what I was drawn to, 
most banjo players I know are a little bit cracked. <laughs> and so uh, Bernie taught me for a number of years. And in Ireland, we're very, very lucky. Like there's, it was full immersion in Irish music from a very early age. So we played competitions. Uh, at the age of 11, I was invited to play in a summer show for American tourists who'd come to Galway. Uh, and they'd come and see our show and we'd do loads of, you know, traditional Irish music and song, but then dancing and then some kind of like drama that kind of captured some of the uh, the old, what do they call them, pishrogs or the superstitions of Irish culture. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it opened my eyes to a whole other world, which was performance and a little bit of theatrics, but also play music for, for people that were, that were on their holidays in Ireland and would come to see the show. So... You know, they talk about the 10,000 hours um, and I, I was playing three, four hours a day. I'd get up first thing in the morning and I'd play before school and I'd play when I came home and I would, play, you know, anytime I had a free hand, I'd play the banjo. And uh, sessions and pubs are a big thing in Ireland. So I, you know, I, so I was working at the age of 11. <laughs> I might be looked, you know, frowned upon in certain circles, but there you go. Um, by the time I got to college, I had enough money saved up to pay for college that sounds like a great story now but when I was 18 or 15 I wanted to spend all the money and was like no you saved for college <laughs> so I can see the merit of it now as a parent but anyway uh loads of playing loads of sessions lots of festivals you know right up into my late teens early 20s it was just music 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 and it's a very uh, community driven type of uh, type of music you know so everybody knows everybody and it's a it's a niche even even in Ireland and so you'd have friends up and down the country um, and would meet them on a regular basis at, at different competitions and uh, different festivals and play just played low and I just couldn't get enough so about the age of 20 or 21 I got asked to be in a, a real a kind of a legacy Irish band it was a band called Moving Cloud They'd been around for a long time and there was some very, uh, very, very well-known, well-respected musicians in the band and they they wanted a banjo player for a change of pace. And so that was a really big deal. I remember my dad was delighted because, again, the, that sort of rebellious nature of the banjo, I was really pushing the boundaries of what would be considered traditional music and doing a lot of kind of crazy jazzy stuff that would have been deeply frowned upon. So to be invited to be in a very traditional band, he was relieved, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to say the least. And so that was my first time to go to America. I played with with that band. That band became a band called the Brock McGuire Band, which is basically the names of the, the, the two founding members. Uh, but that was my first time to go to America in, in the year 2000. And for whatever reason, that band did a lot of work in the southern states, which was not the kind of the standard route for Irish music. So, you know, Irish musicians go and they play, you know, Boston, New York. And there's a huge, as you probably know, there's a huge market right across the the Midwest. So Ohio and Wisconsin, they have the big Irish festivals. And while we dipped our toe into those, we did do a lot of work down through Tennessee and Alabama and Louisiana and, you know, played in fantastic places, you know. Uh, so what was fascinating for me was that as a four-string tenor banjo player, I would play a gig in Alabama or, or Kentucky, and there would be a load of five-string banjo players that would come out to the show to see what the hell this guy was doing 
on four strings and and picking it with a with a flat pick like a guitar. And at that point, I didn't really know an awful lot about bluegrass music. I kind of knew a little bit Beverly Hillbillies kind of, but I never really listened to it very much because there wasn't huge access to it. There was no awareness of it in Ireland. Uh, you would never hear it on the radio. There was very, very bad country music. And that that's still a thing, which is very different to even what American country music would sound like. It's They call it country and Irish, you know. It's, it's very, very popular. <laughs> so for me to be touring in that part of the world and people to give you CDs at the time mm. uh, of bluegrass music, I was like, wow, this is amazing, amazing music. And so that kind of sparked my interest in all of the different sounds that the banjo could make that I, that I really hadn't been aware of. Um, and so, you know, I was a number of years, I think it was 10 years touring with that band. Mm. And I, I really wanted to explore all of the different sounds that the banjo could make. Uh, having now started to listen to a lot of old-timey music and bluegrass music. And so I was kind of looking around my local area, essentially, for banjo players that I knew that were good. And I had known of David and Martin Howley because I would have taught them at various stages over the years or they'd kind of come play tunes and, you know. Actually, the guy that I taught when I was 16 was their main teacher. So they were like banjo grandchildren. <laughs> What a better word. <laughs> you know, they, they came up to my house and we just started playing an approximation of what old timey music would sound like on three banjos. Mm. And I just remember that we were all just smiling and just loving the rhythms and just because it was something new and it was very fresh. And that was essentially the start of We Banjo 3. And it's the reason it's called We Banjo 3. It was three of us who were playing banjo. It was never meant to be anything more than a bit of fun and a hobby. And Martin, who's the older of the two boys, uh, the two boys, the two brothers, he uh, entered us in a competition with a, a an outfit in, in, in Ireland called Music Network. They're kind of housed under the Arts Council. And it was an award called the Young Music Wide Award. And you had to be, uh, the average age of the band had to be under a certain threshold. So Dave was so young that he dragged me under the threshold right so we just kind of squeezed in <laughs> and so that was so, so, so like I said we, we were just having fun we were kind of we played a couple of gigs but nothing serious and then suddenly we were we, we got invited to take part in an audition for this award and off we went up to Dublin um, and on the way to Dublin it's about two hour drive I went up the night before and I was listening to RT Radio 1 which is the, kind of the NPR I guess here um, and Professor Mick Maloney was being interviewed, or was it, it was a documentary about the banjo. And Mick Maloney passed away last year. He was a professor in uh, New York University, uh, and he was his musical historian and a banjo player. And he was talking all about the basically how the banjo came to be in Irish music, and a little bit about the history in relation to to the kind of the, the passage of slavery and old time and minstrelry and all of that. And I didn't really know anything about it at that stage, but I remembered like seven or eight salient points from the interview. And then when we did the audition the next day, I, I was like, and now this piece of music that we're going to play next, this relates to this passage of history. <laughs> and so we 
we won the award and one of the bits of feedback was that we were so invested in the history of the banjo that that really impressed them and I'm like I literally learned this in the car yesterday (laughs) (laughs) you see it was meant to be that's what I reckon and um and so as part of that we got to record an album and they set up two years of touring in Ireland around the art centers in Ireland and of course we had a ridiculous name because we were called We Banjo 3 and that's because we wanted to have a name that had nothing whatsoever to do with Celtic Irish sound and names because there was loads of those bands and we said well we need to stand out from everything else and also because our music was actually quite broad it had a lot of different things coming in uh we said we better give it a, a crazy name so We Banjo 3 and we sold out every show it was amazing people came along and they were like we love the banjo and it turns out that there's just this kind of closet love of banjo all over the place people love it they might admit it but they do and uh you know, on foot of that, we got an invite to play Milwaukee Irish Festival in 2012. And my my brother uh, on the fiddle, he had been on our first album on almost every track on guitars and fiddles and stuff. And I had played that festival many years before and I knew that it was really big. And I was worried that three guys with three banjos would, you know, just be lost. <laughs> and so we 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 asked Fergal to come with us for the weekend. Um and again, this was all just hobby. I had I had a full-time job, I had a government job. Uh, Martin was doing a PhD. Dave was in college. And it blew up that weekend. It just, we were the hit of the festival. And off the back of that, then just came more touring. Uh, but suddenly we were a band called We Banjo 3 that had four members. And because you couldn't bring three banjos on planes, we just started to bring mostly one and, you know, sometimes two and, then just because the nature of the band changed, uh, Martin started playing an awful lot more mandolin. So the name was ridiculous, but we couldn't change it because uh, it was too late. Um, and then just this huge career opened up in front of us. Now, we worked really hard at it. You know, we were at the cutting edge of Facebook and marketing and YouTube and all of that kind of stuff. You know, we were pushing ourselves out there big time, uh, reading all the marketing books you could get your hands on, trying to figure out how do you apply the 22 immutable laws of marketing to a band that's got banjos in it. And, you know, and and it all just worked out. We had lots of really amazing things happened that just kind of propelled our career forward. And then, you know, we're the only Irish band to have two Billboard number ones in bluegrass music. We're not even a bluegrass band, <laughs> but because we played a little bit of bluegrass in our music, you know, and we've 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 like torn down stages at the hallowed bluegrass festivals like Grey Fox in New York, and we played Rocky Grass this summer. Like these are festivals that are about bluegrass music, and they're you know it's sacrosanct, they're sacred. And then you have these Irish guys who just teared up the rule book, uh, jumping around and playing a mix of Irish and and with a little bit of bluegrass flavor in it, but because we play with such high energy and such this such virtuosity is that a word in what we do it translates so well to an audience that understand what it is to play really uh high level string music you know uh and then we just and then you know we became one of the one of the mainstays at all of the irish festivals so we've we've had a massive career for for 10 years it all started uh, around a kitchen table in galway as a curiosity and a little bit of fun and i think we stayed kind of open-minded I felt like that we were running to catch up for the first five years, that the career was out here and we were trying to figure out what the hell we were doing, <laughs> running behind the train, you know, 
uh, and eventually it, it all made sense. You know, the last number number of years we've had management, we've had booking agents, and all the paraphernalia that that one has when they when you hit a certain uh, certain level of a career. But you know, it's been absolutely amazing. It has opened up doors that we would never have imagined even existed. years ago there weren't any banjo players in Ireland of any great extent you know the 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 history of how the banjo ended up in America in the first place and I'm I'm finishing a book at the moment called Well of Souls um I think it's Christina Gaddy and it's it's a really deep academic historical look at, at, at at the origins of what we call the banjo And it's very, very much an African instrument and and the way that it was used by the slaves as part of their rituals. Now, how did that end up in Ireland? Uh, And again, this is information that I've learned from from Mick Maloney, which is that in the 1800s, you had the Virginia minstrels, you had various minstrel bands. 80% of the minstrels were Irish musicians. Now there were white guys with blackface and, and, you know, it, it's it's of its time, but it, it it was a grotesque kind of representation of 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 what it was ta- what what it was taken off, which was the which was black musicians that were playing. But they traveled all over the world, and the theory is that that was the first time that the banjo appeared in Ireland would have been in the eighteen fifties with the Virginia minstrels. Um, but there's no real record that I'm aware of of Irish musicians playing the banjo in Ireland. The first recordings that I that I know of were made in America. So it's almost like it, it it popped up in Ireland and then Irish musicians who emigrated to America in the early 1900s, that they picked up the banjo and they started to play it in New, in New York and in Boston. Mm-hmm. And the early recordings that were made by the likes of James Wheeler and the Flanagan brothers, that this was really the beginning of banjo in Irish music. But that's way, way back doesn't really pop up very much in the culture of Ireland until the 1960s when Barney McKenna and he's playing it with the Dubliners the Dubliners aren't a trad band they're not a traditional Irish band right they're a ballad band they're doing songs and Barney is playing Irish music Uh, now he is uh, reputed to have tuned it like a fiddle for the first time so prior to that the banjos that were being played in New York and Boston they were they were tuned a f- a fifth higher. They were in jazz tuning, essentially, what's known as, as tenor banjo tuning. And Irish banjo tuning is a specific tuning, so it's the same as the fiddle and the same as the mandolin. And Barney is accredited with doing that for the first time. But I always think it's a very curious instrument because, like I said, Barney was playing it, but he was playing it in a ballad band. And the pure traditionalists in Ireland would have looked askance at a ballad band and would have said, that's not really, that's not really traditional music, right? Uh, that's not everybody, but we're you know just talking in terms of bookending a tradition. The really next player of influence was a guy called Kieran Hanran, and he was playing in a band called Stockton's Wing. But Stockton's Wing were way outside of the tradition as well. Like they were almost a kind of a rock and roll band, very commercial. They had a, they had a, they had a lot of big hits like that were in the charts in Ireland in the seventies and the eighties. And after that, the next guy that really made a big impression was a guy called Jerry O'Connor. And Jerry was the first uh, non-American to win the Steve Martin Award. But Jerry drew from 
all over. Now, Jerry is a very traditional musician. He comes from Tipperary and his father played the fiddle. But when he did his banjo album, he had African rhythms in there. He had bluegrass sounds. He tuned it differently to what is Irish tuning. So the point I'm trying to make is that the banjo making its way into traditional Irish music came from very strange sources, ballad bands, semi kind of Celtic-y rock band, and then a guy that's bringing in all of these African and Appalachian and bluegrass sounds. It came in as an outsider. It sort of elbowed its way in th into the tradition. A lot of people tried to get rid of it and say, get out with that instrument. It's not Irish. It's an American instrument. It's an African instrument. All of this kind of, there's a lot of racism associated with it. Now, here we are. And it is very much part of the tapestry of traditional Irish music. There's hundreds, thousands of excellent young players that are just, and they're technically proficient because now there's teachers all over the place that, that are, have proficiency at teaching. They didn't exist when I was a kid. It was only, I mean, we, we drove an hour. From, that doesn't sound like much now in an American context, but in Ireland, an hour in the 80s was a very, very long way, <laughs> right? Very long way. So, uh, and that's how far you had to go for, for a banjo lesson because there just were no teachers and now they're everywhere. So, so many people here in the South, I think when they come in contact with um, Irish trad music in particular, I, I mean, I've heard this over and over again. Oh gosh, it's so similar to bluegrass. Why aren't there more crossover bands? How difficult is that? And what are some of those specific differences as, as well with old time bluegrass and then trad music? The main differences that I would see and this is from kind of being at jam sessions and so forth, is that uh, the, the modalities are are very similar. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the basic scales and the keys and stuff are very similar. And there's a lot of tunes that are shared, mm -hmm. which makes sense because there were so many Irish and Scottish musicians that immigrated and were essentially responsible for the development of, of old time and bluegrass music. Uh, in Irish sessions, we would play many, many tunes in one go. Mm. So you you could play six reels one after another, and you might play each of them five or six times, but everybody plays together. Everybody does little variations as they're playing and they feed off each other. So it's like a it's like an organic sort of entity that ebbs and flows as that seven or eight or nine or ten minutes passes, and this is one you know, round of tunes that happens. Whereas in bluegrass music, they tend to play one tune and they play it over and over and over and over. And if you had 10 musicians in a session, you might play it 20 times and then everybody just vamps along in the background waiting to, to do a solo and they get one go and then it goes around the circle and eventually comes back to them. The joke, of course, is, is that by the time it gets around to you, you mess it up because <laughs> you've been anticipating it for so long. <laughs> So there's an element of improvisation that's in bluegrass music that doesn't exist to the same extent in Irish music. So if if you had ten the same ten musicians in an Irish session, and they're playing a reel, and one one guy starts to do the level of improvisation that will be in bluegrass music, mm -hmm. everyone else would look at him and go, uh, "Sorry, that's what's that tune?" You know. Yeah. But there there are very nuanced and subtle variations that happen and you, you see you could also have 10 people that play a tune and they all have 10 slightly different versions of the tune mm. but it all kind of knits together whereas what i would see in bluegrass is that everybody has the same basic version of, this, of, of the basic tune and then the improvisation can go 
absolutely anywhere. But that's the main difference. Crossing over the two, I mean, you know, we're we're kind of billed as a crossover band. We play 85% of our music is Irish. Mm-hmm. But, but we bring in some of the sounds of bluegrass music into it. Mm. And then we're we're and and we're not afraid to, to do an Irish reel into a bluegrass reel. Sure. Uh and then go back into a, an Irish jig at the end. And I think that was kind of the magic sauce when it came to We Banjo 3, is that we would start, we'd take something like Salt Creek, which is one of the standards of bluegrass music. Mm. And and we'd 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 pair it up with a 200 year old Irish reel. But we change the 200 year old Irish reel and add in an extra bar to make it sound like something that would happen in a bluegrass tune. Mm. And then we changed Salt Creek to sound like it was an Irish tune. Put the two of them together and everybody's confused, but they're like, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's what happened. Old time is like claw hammer or flail and banjo. So it's 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 very kind of chordal based, uh, very rhythmical based, but it doesn't have those individual picked notes that you associate with bluegrass chase music right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> we just yeah. rob we just rob the bank <laughs> and we're chasing away and that's right and so that's what we call class and that's that's just a completely different method of playing the banjo you know that's done with 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 finger picks and with thumb as opposed to the flailing or the claw hammer which you know to my ear is like abigail washburn or rhiannon giddens right that that's to my, what i kind of consider to be that claw hammer style and then you have and then within bluegrass, you know, look at, we'll say the likes of Russ Carson that plays with Ricky Skaggs band. And you could say that that is almost what you would consider classical, classic bluegrass sound. Mm. And then you take Bela Fleck, who has pushed bluegrass banjo into many, many different places. Or Noam Pakelmi that plays with Punch Brothers has taken five string banjo and made it sound orchestral. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very very different sound even the actual physical tone of the banjo that the way that they play it is very different to the tone and the sound that comes off from what we will call bluegrass music right so it's progressing all of the time and the same is true in irish music you know and i think probably in 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 any folk music and there are people that want it to be a certain thing and to stay that way and that exists in all traditions as well. I love some of the more jazzy elements as well to y'all's music. I love that you integrate the horns and then also in, in your picking, which maybe that is emulating some of the melting pot that you see with bluegrass kind of taking in some jazz influences. Yeah, the horns, uh, there was a, a very famous band from French Canada called La Bottine Souriante, which means the smiling boot which I think is an awesome name for a band. And so they played French Canadian music, uh, but they had a fantastic brass section. And they were, uh, certainly to our ears, they were one of the one of the only bands that, and of course, French Canadian music is very similar to Scottish and Irish music mm-hmm. in its mode and in its tempo and, and, and that. And so they, they had incredible brass. So when we were doing uh, the big Irish festivals in the US, and you know, you go back every year and you're like, how can we make the show better, mm-hmm. you know? And we said, why, why don't we try brass? And so we got uh, a friend of ours uh, to write some three-piece brass parts for us. And then we were in California and we were playing in a venue called, oh, I think it's called Sweetwater Music Hall. Um, and one of the guys from the Grateful Dead started the club. 
Oh, wow. Right. Uh, I can't remember which one. I, I want to say Jerry Garcia, but I don't know. Um, and it was the maddest pairing. Uh, we, we didn't have anything to do with, with the opening act for the band. Uh, and so it was this band called the Hunter Tones from New York, who were like hardcore jazz, yeah. but they're hardcore high entertainment jazz. They've gone on and they're playing on Jimmy Kimmel. And one of the guys is in, um, John is, is in, I think it's the one of the late, the, one of those late night shows. He's, he's in the band all of the time. Like they're, they're phenomenal musicians. So they played first. And when they came off, we were like, guys, that was awesome. Would you be interested in playing a set at the end with us? And I can't even remember what it was. And they were like, have you got notes? And so we 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 had we had the music on Dropbox. And so we were running around backstage uh, pr printing off all of these sheets. And the guys came out at the end and they did a couple of sets with us. And they just learned it off from, from, from the notes and then came out and played. And we're like, wow, that was amazing. And so they toured with us over the summer for, for a number of years. So they, they were from Dublin, Ohio, as it happened. I mean, it just oh, by chance, one of the biggest Irish festivals in the US is in Dublin, Ohio, right outside of Columbus. And that's their hometown. So they did a bunch of, they did that in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they were in Kansas City. And, you know, it, it, it worked. People love, people love brass. They love horns because it's a real party sound, right? Definitely. And it works works worked really well now the the, the the parts are written so well by, by our, our friend here in ireland ryan malloy so uh the whole thing just worked and it was of course it was drawn from that bottine the sound of la bottine surriant which was like just big you know yeah. highly kind of glamorous <laughs> brass sound with with banjos and stuff you know and the whole thing put together was fantastic yeah and there were some of our absolute favorite shows to play because that just brought this whole other dimension both musically on stage but to the audience as well and of course when you're playing on stage and just five or six thousand people and you're feeding off their reaction mm -hmm. i mean it's fantastic you know now are there any songs that from the sets that y'all play that are i guess it would be more so irish tunes that filtering the old time tradition yeah probably not so much in the the songs with words but you know there's there's one that we we've done for years called soldier's joy and we would have always learned it as a like it's 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 a tune that children would learn mm. it's a little it's a barn dance it's got hardly any notes you know and if you were starting out an instrument you go well now we're going to learn soldiers joy and then we went to america and discovered it's real and they play it at like 200 bpm and it's blisteringly fast um, and so we started to do it both ways. So we'd start out as this little dinky kind of hornpipe sound, and then we'd play it as a as a reel with just and finish off with just runs of crazy tremolo, you know. And that would always bring the house down because people would recognize it uh, as as an American tune. And what we do this kind of little here's the dinky little Irish version as well. Um, I mean, one of the most famous tunes that's best known uh, in bluegrass world is Saint Anne's reel. Hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's like a hundred percent came from europe possibly scotland or ireland but you know and that's that's a tune that in ireland is like it's it's almost it's, it's hackneyed so if you started in a session seasoned musicians would be like oh do i have to really play that one do you know <laughs> yeah yeah whereas it's a it's a sort of a hallowed tune in in, in bluegrass so if, if bluegrass musicians want to play something that sounds irish they all know St. Anne's Reel and it'll, it'll always get played. So there's a lot of shared 
a lot of share, share tunes not maybe not so much the songs with words i mean definitely one of the more popular ones that we did was long black veil but i mean that's is that even a traditional song like it's been sure. around a long time but very very popular <laughs> What does the old time and bluegrass scene look like now um, in Ireland? I remember when I was in Galway, just being blown away that you had so many blues sessions and jazz sessions and just, I, I don't know, it's such a rich hub of music. In one way, I'm just going to hide behind my microphone in shame. <laughs> I for, for, for the last 10 years with the band, <clears throat> because I have a, I have a son um, who's, who's 13 now, I, I've essentially i've toured and stayed at home for the last 10 years and then of course with covid nobody went anywhere sure so i would say that i don't know what's going on in galway only that it's always been full of music it was the city of culture the city of arts the uh, used to call it the the graveyard of ambition so that's, that's what they used to call it <laughs> When I when I was hanging around more in my twenties because uh, it was a it was a wild a wild party town as well. Um, there's always been a huge amount of music here, uh, but I don't I don't have a feeling that there's a that there's a great I don't think I don't think there's a huge bluegrass and old time scene in Ireland. Nothing close to what there is for traditional Irish music. There are absolutely pockets of it, and there are musicians who play it, but. I would know a lot of Americans who have come to live in Ireland so that they can play Irish music because they just and have moved from towns like Asheville, North Carolina, where I'd be like, what? It's a lovely town. And and they come to Ireland because they want access to play to to real, really good Irish music all of the time. And then they've just made made it their lives. Uh, I can't imagine people would move here because they want to play bluegrass in old time. The musicians are here, of course. But it's 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 not Irish music is just so strong, and it's not that you know one eats up the possibility of the other existing. But um, but it's one of my one of my goals for the next number of years is to you know leave my house and go in go into town <laughs> and play some more music with 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 folks that are aren't just in a band. That's one of the things of being in a band and having a young family is that you know when you're away for five months of the year, or sometimes six months of the year, when you are home. You, you know you, you just it's not that you have to you, you really want to be at home so uh, we banjo three have been touring for 10 years but we're, we're we're going on an extended break in 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 february we have seven shows left uh and the, these these are shows that have been booked and booked out since 2020 uh since the great lockdown and the great shutdown so uh we have three shows in in california and four in arizona because we like a bit of winter sun, um, but after that, we're all we're all we're taking a, an extended break as a band. So, what I've been doing for the last year, I did, I started a podcast during uh, during the pandemic. I called it Inside the Banjoverse, and I did a bunch of episodes that year. And then when when the band went back touring, uh, I took a break from that. So I'm relaunching that, uh, hopefully in in February, I think. 
I have a bunch of interviews already done. Um, and that kind of, ex- I mean, it started out exploring banjo all, you know, internationally. And so it was great. People were bored and they were at home doing nothing. So I got to interview Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn and Alison Brown and Tony Trishka and Ron Block. Like you go pick the five best known banjo players on planet Earth uh, and you get access to them for a couple of hours for a chat. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I talked to a whole bunch of Irish musicians as well. So that um, that's that's being rebooted. Um, but what I've been focusing on for the last while, and and very much so now for, for the next uh, the next while, uh, I'm teaching banjo online. Uh, so what I've been doing is creating like a very deep resource of banjo tutorial videos with fully notated. Um, and I, I use Tab which is a method of notation for that the Americans use. Uh, Irish people didn't know what tab was until 10 years ago. They never even heard of it. So essentially what I what I do is I take one Irish tune, I take a couple every month, and I break them down into like the most basic version of the tune. And then I teach that. And then I go on and I'll, you know, show you how to add in all of the subtleties of ornamentation. Irish music is a very ornate music. Hmm. So we, we take the simple tune and then depending on who's playing it and often where you're from in the country is particularly with fiddle and stuff like that. There's, there's very, very different ways to interpret a tune and you can make it very, very ornate. And the banjo is, has its own, you know, specific set of uh, ways of doing that as well. So I go into all of the intricacies of that. One of the big uh, focuses that I have is on technique because it's a banjo is a very technical instrument. If your technique isn't right, it can be a very difficult instrument. So I pick tunes that are going to talk about, you know, how to how to actually get your technique right. And I go into great detail on that. Uh, and then we, we also look at tune interpretation because you can take any tune, play it in a multitude of different ways. And it's, it's almost about kind of showing you how to tell a story with the simplest tunes. And that then, you know, kind of uh, steps into the whole world of harmony and chords and how, how to add color and flavor to a tune as you're playing it. So like each tune that I that I do, I just uh, released one last week. It's got 11 videos. I mean, talk about going overboard. But what's come out of that uh, bizarrely is, uh, and, and this is going back to having a 13-year-old son. Last year, he was like, Dad, have you got a Discord server? And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, and he's like, you're so behind the times. You have to have a Discord server. So I have a Discord server, which is essentially like a giant WhatsApp group, but everything is broken down into different channels. So there's loads of different topics. I've got a bunch of people on that and it's so active. And it's like, I I only dip in every now, every now and again. It's like this community of banjo players from all over the world. Because I got loads of people from Europe, Ireland, England, and loads of Americans, people in Australia, New Zealand. And like they're chatting the whole time about, you know, pickups or strings or I bought this type of a banjo, but now the head isn't right on it or the intonation is a little bit off. And there's a wealth of knowledge in there. So there's a lot of people that have that are, are basically like amateur luthiers mm-hmm. and they're advising on use a little shim for this and raise this and move this a little bit. Um, and, and they get to ask me questions. So if, if somebody comes across something in the in the in the monthly lesson that they're struggling with they'll just go hey and i i just can't seem to get the picking right on this phrase and so then i'll drop in a video and say well why don't you just try doing this and and that helps you know so it's 
that's one of the cool parts of it is that it turned into this really vibrant connected community uh and the mad thing about that is that next next september i'm hosting a tour of ireland on the west coast with a company called wild atlantic music tours and so basically a bunch of people get to come to ireland and we hang out for the week and we play sessions every day and we meet kind of crazy musical characters along the way and go for lessons in sligo and go out to connemara and play tunes out there and go into some you know tiny little pub in the middle of nowhere and, and have a session and there's a load of my uh, my banjo community are coming on that who've never met before and they're all very excited about meeting each other now uh, so it's crazy like there's all of these uh, I mean the online world has produced so much opportunity for connection and for for community so anyway that's all on I, I it's all done through patreon mm. uh, yeah we have zoom hangs every month as well where we get professional musicians to come in and talk about answer questions and what sort of a pick to use what sort of strings to use it's brilliant fun so that's I I mean I'm on endoscahill.com but also irishbanjolessons.com has got all of the information and if you look up endoscahill banjo on uh, YouTube Facebook Instagram you name it not on Snapchat because like come on I like definitely not 13 anymore so. <laughs> Got it. I'm even on TikTok. I'm on TikTok, but I'm a little bit confused about what, what what a banjo player should really be doing on TikTok. So I just put up awkward looking videos of myself playing. I tell you, I kind of feel that unless I'm playing the banjo whilst hang gliding or something, that I'm it's not really going to go viral. You know, running across a river of alligators and playing the banjo at the same time. I mean, if you play in Louisiana, you might get that opportunity. Well, there you go. I'm going to take you up on that. <laughs> well, again really appreciate your time it's it's been lovely to meet you in person my 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 pleasure molly and thanks for having me appreciate it lovely chatting to you the old time banjo clips you've heard throughout the podcast are old mother flanagan and soldier's joy played by musicians chris erswell and guy wolf from the Derek peter fieldwork archive please do yourself a favor and dig into some fantastic tunes from we banjo 3 at webanjo3.com which is also linked below. That's all she wrote, folks. Until next time, Gurumahagwiv Agaslanagwiv Baharja. Bye.